I'm Dr. Robin Roth. And I'm Dr. Adrian Rosenthal. And together, we are the Booby Docs, our Instagram account where we talk about breast cancer and breast health in an educational and approachable way. We are both fellowship trained breast radiologists who have been best friends since day one of med school. We work together, we mom together, and now we podcast together. Welcome to the Girlfriend's Guide to Breast Cancer, Breast Health, and Beyond. If you or someone you love has been affected by breast cancer, then this podcast is for you. Each episode will sit down with some of the top breast cancer experts and inspiring thrivers to help you navigate through a cancer diagnosis while having some fun along the way. So without further ado, let's be breasties. Nailed it. (laughs) This podcast is not intended for medical advice. Please contact your doctor with any symptoms or concerns that you may be having. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Booby Docs podcast. We have a very, very special guest today. With us today is Gila Pepfer. She is a very funny writer, currently writing a very funny memoir about her life. Um, And she's very active on Instagram and Twitter, where we are officially best friends, even though we've never met. Totally. She's also a mom of four kids and has a very strong personal and family history of breast cancer, which she's going to tell us about. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It is truly an honor to be here. So Gila, tell us a little bit about yourself. <sighs> Which part do you want to know? <laughs> the beginning. I, don't know. The whole thing. Uh, I am an American who's been living in London for over 12 years. Uh, my family and I moved here in 2009 with our four little kids. Those kids are now pretty much all grown up. I've got one in college in the US, one on a gap year in Israel and two still at home. So we are kind of all over the place. And, you know, while we're happy living here, we definitely, our our hearts are in New York. So we're kind of, you know, trying to angle our way back there. Um, About me, I'm a nice Jewish girl from Staten Island, which is something I would not have admitted probably two or three years ago. I'm still getting comfortable with the Staten Island part. I feel like Staten Island is having a moment thanks to Pete Davidson and Colin Jost. It's like buy a Staten Island ferry or something. That That's what I mean. It's like, okay, Colin Jost and Pete Davidson are <laughs> letting me, I'm coming out as a Staten Islander basically. <laughs> okay. So I'm from there, but haven't been there in like a hundred years. Um, I have a background in fashion marketing. And when I left fashion, I uh, sort of, I decided to just, put that aside and focus on my kids full-time because I really wasn't handling both. By the way, kudos to you guys for being full-time working moms. I do not know how you do it. I lack the skills. So then I became sort of like school board person, PTA person. And uh, the, the big story, I guess, is that I was three months old when my grandmother died. My mom's mom, she died of breast cancer. And I was 20 years old when my mom died she was 42. So I'm the oldest of five kids and I became extremely vigilant about my breast health, extremely interested in all things breast cancer related. And um, over the years, I just used whatever medical technology was available to me, starting with self-exams, checkups at doctors, uh, my breast specialist twice a year. Eventually I got my first mammogram as a baseline and um, Ultimately, when I heard about gene testing, which was probably in the mm, mid-2000s, mm-hmm. I 
wanted to get gene tested because I knew at that point that I was going to do the preventative double mastectomy. I think this is such an interesting point that you bring up because one of the things I've heard you say in the past is that, you know, you kind of, you had the double mastectomy before Angelina Jolie put it on the map. Like I remember that New York Times article coming out and it like knocked people's socks off and you were a real trailblazer. You stole my thunder. I don't even like you anymore, Angelina. <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean. It's really inspirational that like you had the wherewithal to be your own advocate at such an early age. It's, it's, it's really awesome. And it's really necessary. And I talk about advocating for yourself as a patient a lot. Um, I think that, look, I was coming at it with a family history. My grandma died at 49. Her sister died in her early 50s, never met her. My mom died at 42. Um, I, I must have carried some anxiety anyway, just from growing up where I grew up in sort of a tense, financially strapped household. So in addition to that anxiety was, okay, I see what's coming down the pike. I'd better do something about this. This was, you know, before the internet, really. The internet was sort of coming onto the horizon at, right after my mom died. She died in 94. So there wasn't this world that I could connect with on any of the social media or even look something up. So even figuring things out for myself and, and not wanting to go the route that she went, like whoever her doctors were, I just wanted to go a different way because, you know, for obvious reasons, I was looking for a different outcome. And as the oldest of five, I definitely felt a responsibility to not only look after myself, but be setting a good example. We are four girls and one boy. And, um, you know, ultimately, when I got married and had four kids, by the time I was pregnant with my third kid, I had just heard about the surgery through a friend of mine, a friend of mine whose mom had had breast cancer but survived. She went and had her breast cut off and had reconstruction. And I was like, you could do that? What is that? Maybe. Prophylactic double mastectomy. I was like, this is there's no question that I'm not going to have mm. this. This was before I got tested for the gene. So in deciding to do that, that gave me a sense of power instead of this, you know, looming cloud that I felt really everywhere I went, no matter what happy things happened in my life, marrying a great guy, having four wonderful kids, um, you know, being uh, sort of well entrenched in our community, I had this constant, like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. My dad died of colon cancer when I was 30. So by the time I was 30 years old, I was the oldest living member of my entire family. My grandparents were gone, parents were gone. And I'm like, okay, we need to start rebuilding our family from this generation. We're now, we're the oldest generation in the family tree. So you know, I just, I took the breast health seriously. I was pumping out kids like a gumball machine. So, <laughs> right. And I, but that was deliberate because I knew that I wanted to be done by my, my deadline was 35, but I swooped in under the deadline and finished at 33. Cause I knew about you. exposure. <laughs> yeah. So how many kids did you have in uh, your span? I like had four in just under six years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but that is why I had plenty of stomach fat and muscle for the reconstruction of my breasts, and I didn't have to use implants. I was like, why use implants when you can use nature's implants? Take all this, will you? 
Yeah, so, we've yeah. we actually we've been talking about how that's become so much more mainstream now to do autologous um, breast reconstruction. What's the popular surgery to you? Like, I had a tram flap, but I know that the next one was they do deep flap. Yeah, D I E. It's the internal epigastric perforator. Um, it's a microvascular surgery. It's much more advanced, yes. and the, the the outcomes are beautiful. The cosmetic outcomes are beautiful. And they also don't involve your entire middle. I remember that had been presented to me as an option, but it was so new. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go there. As it was, my surgery was nine hours. This one was going to be much longer. I'm like, mm -hmm. I, I, I can hardly even work up the courage to have the tram flap. So let's, let's just think yeah. of that. It's a lot of OR time. So tell us what happened. So you go to um, get the double mastectomy and you were doing some genetic testing at the time as well. Yeah. So I had genetic testing at 33. I had already decided to have the prophylactic double mastectomy regardless of the genetic outcome because with such a strong family history, I wasn't really going to be interested in what my genes were telling me. Um, no surprises. I tested positive for one of the two BRCA1 genes mm -hmm. and, you know, that just that just validated my decision further. And, mm -hmm. you know, but there's a big gap between saying I'm going to do this and doing it. And I was terrified. I'd never had surgery. And, you know, my mom had been diagnosed at 40. So I figured, oh, I'm only 33. I have plenty of time. It's okay. Wow. In the interim, my husband and I were like, let's go for one more kid, because after this, I probably won't be able to have I, I would still have my ovaries. But, you know, having your stomach pulled up through your torso and into your boobs makes it hard to be pregnant and four is plenty so we had the fourth and I knew like the clock was ticking I've got to have the surgery and I kept delaying 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 until we decided uh, to move to London for my husband's work and we had about a year and change lead time and that's when I said okay this is this is the perfect time to do it I'll do it at the beginning sort of as far away from the move as possible by the time I move it'll be done and I can just get on with my life and talk about or not talk about what I feel like, you know, discussing with my new community. But as it so happens, um, it's a good thing that we were moving to London. And I did it when I did, because at the age of 34, I had my breast tissue preventatively removed with a reconstruction from my stomach fat and muscle. I woke up from a nine hour surgery feeling light and refreshed and unburdened and you know, I remember Phil, that's my husband, Phil said, why do you look so good after a nine hour surgery? Like I was glowing. Mm -hmm. I, I felt free. Mm -hmm. And then six days later, my breast surgeon called to say, you're not going to believe this because I can't believe this. Your pathology showed that you've got two tiny, early, but aggressive cancers in your right breast. Wow. And I was like, yeah, what? First of all, I didn't even know that you do a pathology and anything you take out of the bio. Wow. Mm -hmm. Now I know. So from from that, it just it just became a whirlwind of first of all, very validating that I did the surgery because it saved my life. There were quite a few people who said, "Why would you mangle your body like that? Why not just wait until there's actually cancer and deal with it then?" So that was my really validating moment. Um, a subsequent node dissection showed that there were micro metastases. Wow in some nodes. I don't know if you want to explain to the listeners at home what that is. So, yeah, I mean, they found a few uh, tumor cells in your lymph nodes. So then it's considered, yeah. you know, metastatic and you probably needed chemotherapy at that point. So I think this is an important part because you woke up from your surgery 
And a few days later, we're given the news, and then you realize that you had to go back in for surgery again with the nodal dissection. Yeah. And, I, and what's interesting was that I think going into the surgery, the assumption was probably that there were not lymph nodes that were positive, right? Correct. Like, so so you are going from a spot where you just have a strong family history and the gene, but a negative mammogram, negative screening, and no diagnosis of breast cancer. You wake up, MRIs, diagnosed, clean, 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 clean. Then you get you you wake up, and a week later, you've got aggressive malignancy in the breast, but probably the lymph nodes are fine, right? And then lo and behold, you get the lymph node dissection and, and you found cells. I mean, that's, that's a lot to take in. Yeah, yeah. There was, and also my kids were seven, five, three, and one. So, and we were getting ready to move to London. So like there was a lot going on, but it's funny you say about the node dissection and thank you. I don't, I don't think many people understand how difficult it was for me to go back into the OR, still stitched up and hunched over, um, getting back on the table. And instead of having that feeling of empowerment the first time, I felt, yeah. you know, like I'd been cut down. Like I, I didn't sort of saunter in there like the hero. Right. I was like, okay, how, how am I back here on this table four weeks later? Yeah. And by the way, the frozen section in the OR, which from what I understand is they do a quick, you know, rough uh, investigation, cut mm -hmm. it, their <laughs> note in half and say, nothing's in there, it's clean. The doctor right. had said to me, good news, the frozen section was clean. But by now, I felt, uh, you know, I was a bit more cynical mm. and jaded. And I was like, so what are the odds that in the, uh, you know, microscopic, micro. yeah, the micropathology, you're going to find something. And she said, there's a 90% chance that there's nothing in there. And Gotta tell you, I knew right then and there. I'm like, you're the ten percent. I've never followed oh, the yeah. crowds. I've always marched the male and drummer. I'm 100% in the ten percent. Didn't say it out loud, but I was like, here we go, mm -hmm. and I was. And you know, instead of sitting in my recliner recovering from a surgery that involved every single part of my body, and I thought I'm just gonna watch TV and eat snacks for eight weeks, uh, everything just became very medicalized and very you know, quick decisions had to be made. And again, even though they theoretically had gotten all the cancer in taking out the breast tissue, in removing the nodes, my oncologist, and I had to even deal with the fact that I now had an oncologist, like, why do I have an oncologist? But she was lovely. We're friends today. Uh, mm -hmm. She said, uh, you know, you have, you're, you're 34 years old. You have a strong family history. You are BRCA1. It would be very advisable that you have again preventative chemo so the theme throughout all of my medical stuff has been prevention everything has been getting ahead of the game and it just seems like every single thing that i did um you know i couldn't stop once i started being preventative i wasn't about to say well that's enough prevention i'll just you know take my chances mm. from here and yeah having to have chemo i had i had eight rounds of act and the hardest part of that was I still have my mom's medical files. And I, you know, I opened them up one day, 17 years later, after she died, I'd never understood them before. But suddenly I was reading those reports and I knew exactly what they were talking about. Wow. I knew what she had um, an eight centimeter tumor on one side, if you can imagine. I knew she had the same ACT. I'm like, how have we not moved on from this 17 years later? We why? still use it. We still use well, 
So I guess it's the gold standard, but for me, it felt more like the exact thing that I, like there's a line in Kung Fu Panda. Have you seen Kung Fu Panda? I have not. Oh my gosh. You have to show it to your kids. It is such a good movie. It's so, it's funny and it's smart. And it's one of those movies that's for kids and for adults. Mm -hmm. But in Kung Fu Panda, one of the like wise elders, this turtle named Master Ugwe says, one always meets his destiny on the path he takes to avoid it. And I don't know why I remembered that line before my surgery. Oh my God. But in the middle of all this, I'm like, yeah, Master Ugwe coming at us with the wisdom. <laughs> oh right. my God. I love that. There it is. Did, did you end up having um, your ovaries taken out as well? I did. I did. So it was prophylactic double mastectomy in November, nodal dissection in my, th- that side um, in December, chemo from January to May. ACT, um, totally hid my baldness from my kids. Thank God the Lord blessed me with kids who are, you know, pretty gullible and (laughs) happy to just live their regular lives. And I kept things very normal at home and they never asked me why I was suddenly sleeping in a hat and showering in a shower cap and always had something on my head. Never once. It really is an example of how we just lead them. (laughs) We just like, yeah create their world most of the time and they who wants today cookies who wants snacks who wants to have a sleepover with a friend because mommy feels like crap by the way my kids had sleepovers every tuesday night at their friends years later when i told them that i had cancer because i kept it from them for a long time because i didn't know even how to tell them one of them goes is that why we always had sleepovers on school nights on a tuesday because kids are never going to ask you why you're giving them something good. They just take it and run. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I'm like, did it occur to you that your pretty rigid bedtime mom was like, oh, have fun at Mia's house. Good morning. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was it was um, eight rounds of chemo, which was over 16 weeks. And then I had about, I don't know, a few weeks recovery time. And then again, preventatively, I had my ovaries removed because, as you know, uh, we needed to stop estrogen production. My cancer was, uh, what's the one with the estrogen? The ERPR positive. That. Yeah. It and was HER2 her negative? Yeah, that's, that's a possibility. So for our listeners who may not be as familiar with these terms, ER and PR positive stands for the presence of estrogen and progesterone receptors. Um, it's the most common type of breast cancer. Um, and if your breast cancer has either ER or PR receptors, then it's considered hormone positive. And these tumors are usually more likely to respond to hormone therapy and uh, they may end up blocking your estrogen or progesterone either by medications such as tamoxifen or like Gila said, taking out her ovaries. They removed the hormone production mechanism. So we took the ovaries out, which honestly was fine because I was done having kids. But yeah, at 35, I went into menopause hardcore. And uh, that was June. I had my ovaries out in June and we moved to London in August. So, that was an intense time, but I had a lot of distractions. So, you know, when we see all these shows like um, the Sex and the City reboot, which I have not watched, and other shows that talk about middle age, is always this like I think exaggeration about menopause. And I I wish there was more of an even keel discussion around it because not everyone has like cooking from the inside hot flashes, and not everybody mm-hmm. has you know brain fog and 
there are many ways to experience it. And in my case, because I was young and had young kids, I almost didn't have time to like really focus on the symptoms and side effects. So I'm sure if I think back, it was pretty bad, but I guess my, my uh, advice to menopausal women is like, keep yourself really distracted until it's done. Um, But yeah, that was, that was the whole saga. And then when I came to England, I had to find a new medical team and we kind of picked up the screenings from here. What I love about your story is that you went from like a provider to a survivor, like right. in, in, in the course of weeks, uh, you know, and your mental, like you said, your mental attitude completely shifted that you were proactive and you're like, I got this. And then once you got the diagnosis of cancer, you're like, oh my God, like everything's out of my control now. Um, it's never really- thought I'd be on, on that side of it. Yeah. When I say pre, I think there were pre-vivers becoming more um, prevalent and understood. Yeah. And also, for those who don't know, provivor means someone that is at an uh, increased risk for developing a disease but has not yet developed the disease. So someone like who has BRCA but hasn't yet developed breast cancer. You know, as I say, this was five years before Angelina Jolie. Everyone remembers that New York Times piece. The, yes. the news was everywhere. And she was hailed as, you know, a hero and a warrior. And look what this woman has done. And then she went on to have her ovaries out, too. And I was just kind of sitting at home going, first of all, good for you. Second of all, um, how wonderful that you have a platform to share this with the world. Because in a microcosm, in my world, when friends and family heard the story, they ran out and scheduled mammograms. Mm -hmm. Two out of my three sisters had gone on to have gene testing and have prophylactic double mastectomies. They're younger Mm -hmm. than me. They were fine. And my baby sister actually tested negative, so she did not have the surgery, but like if I could influence a few people, she just like, that was the best PR this thing could have gotten. Yeah, totally. It really is a brave thing to, you know, undergo genetic testing and to undergo prophylactic mastectomy because it is a really, you know, scary, um, you know, set of circumstances you're dealing with. Um, you know, you mentioned your, that your BRCA diagnosis, what have you spoken about your, to your children about the BRCA um, genetic testing and have they been tested yet? So they've not been tested yet. I have spoken to them about it. Um, it was many years until I told them the full story. They knew my mom had died of breast cancer. None of them ever met her. Um, she never even met my husband and they knew that I was involved in, you know, you know, Charcheret, mm-hmm. um, this mm-hmm. great organization. And they know why I'm involved because of my relation to breast cancer. And they know that I'm just very preventative, but they never knew fully why. At the time they said, you know, why is mommy going to the hospital for a few days? And I said, um, mommy's having an operation on her stomach to make sure she stays healthy. Cause I thought it was just easier to focus on the stomach part than explain to little kids, like what would my breasts have to do with health? They understand tummy aches and things like that. Um, years later, my sister and I were invited to be the keynote speakers at a Shoshara, uh fundraiser where we told our story. And basically, you know, my story launched her story because she looked at me and said, I better do that too. And she obviously yeah. had, you know, she was younger, had a different uh, interaction with my mother in terms of what she saw, and what I saw, but ultimately she, you know, she, my my mine was a cautionary tale and she acted on it. I felt it was really time to just sit them down and explain to them why I'm going, what I'm going to speak about, 
um, they didn't come with me, but I was hoping that they, they'd watch a live stream or a video afterward. And I told each of them individually, they were somewhere between uh, tweens and early teens. And I told them individually because they're all uh, very different personalities, mm-hmm. but th- it was one of the most powerful and validating and gratifying experiences I had being able to tell my story to them, the most important people in the world, you know, from a position of power, having already gone through it. Mm-hmm. I had spared them and spared myself the need to talk to them through the chemo because we weren't trying to eradicate anything. We were just being preventative, mm-hmm. but I looked not like myself. So being able to tell them, here's what I did. Here's why I did it. Cause I wanted to stick around for you guys. Um, here's what I went through. Here's where I am today. And now I'm going to share my story. And every one of them had a very uh, strong, positive reaction, you know, ranging from emotional to awe to my daughter said, mom, you're my hero. Like, mm. who, what better thing, you know, can you hear? Like, they, A lot of parents might feel that, oh, you can't keep things from your kids and you have to tell them everything. I, I took a judgment as their parent. I decided that it was better for them to just keep things normal when they were little. And it was certainly better for me not to have to carry their anxieties on top of my anxiety. So today, I've got my feel it on the first campaign on Instagram. Um, yeah. Every month I post a funny picture of me holding up two things that look like boobs, you know, but it has the desired effect. It gets people smiling and remembering to check their boobs. And people from all over the world send me pictures of, you know, their daughter holding two balloons and their kids' cereal bowls turned over in the sink or two light bulbs. They're like, I can't stop seeing boobs everywhere I go. It really is a movement. When we came onto the Instagram scene, what, like about a year ago, it was one of the first things that we were really drawn to because we saw the impact that it had. Every single person is on their phone every day. You don't remember to do a self-breast exam on day seven to 14 from the first day of your last menstrual period. You just don't remember. And when you check your phone at night and you see that pop up, that's a reminder. Yeah. So, so it's a really effective strategy for, for increasing self-breast exam amongst women of all ages and just like getting women comfortable with how their breast feels. Mm, yeah, that's the point. Through your advocacy of Feel It on the First, I feel like you're so good about it. That's like kind of how I heard, heard about the movement. Um, so kudos. That's to- when we became fangirls. <laughs> well, I became fangirls when I started to see your reels because you guys are pretty impressive with the moves and the lip syncing and getting, getting your staff to get involved. I mean, that's what it's about. It's about, you know, say what you will about social media and its downsides, but if you can convey a message with mm-hmm. humor and as entertainment, you're still conveying that message. You know, these kids are growing up for the YouTube generation. And who's to say that they're not learning as much, if not more, than they would from a dry textbook? Well, I think what we're doing is creating a community through social media where, like you said, like with your friend's daughter who did a feel it on the first post, like that's, that's some, that's like a micro motion towards her understanding what a breast exam is. And that's impactful. Like there's a culture that's that's forming and and it's been forming for a while. But it's I really feel like it's it's picking up speed. Yeah, and I gotta tell you, since we've been doing the field on the first post, we've had three young women, like friends mm. and under 40, 
find their own cancer that way. <gasps> like, yeah. So. Whoa. I know. So it me it makes a difference. Yeah. It, it is like, I feel like it's like fuel. It's like fuel for why we like get out of, you know, get the good out of what we're doing, like why we enjoy it. It's awesome. It's so cool. And also normalize it. We're talking about boobs. Like I've got three sons and instead of, you know, being all coy and oh, boobs about it, they send exactly. me pictures that they see in the street. All their friends follow me on Instagram. I'm like, I'm not embarrassed to be holding things up. I'm it just norm. You know what? It normalizes the self breast exam in just like a fun, like good way. It's just good, clean, it's true. Wholesome, healthy, fun. <laughs> you know, I want to just talk about the self-breast exam for a minute. Yeah. So I always tell people, you know, pick the same time each month, you know, first feel it on the first is a good reminder and just look for something that feel for something that doesn't feel right. You know, look at your nipples, make sure there's no discharge, feel for lumps all the way to your armpit. Yeah, totally. That's what you're looking for. And you'll know it when you feel it. Like I never did self-breast exams until this year. Me neither. Like, it, it wasn't on my radar as a breast specialist. I know it's crazy. The two of us. What's crazy to me is that the American Cancer Society no longer recommends the self-breast exam. So yep. I, I want to save that conversation for another time because I can go on forever about that. But yeah, it's very confusing. But can I tell you, I, I got my baseline mammogram over July last year and I had a ultrasound surveillance because I have dense breast tissue and I had cysts of like, like massive cysts everywhere. If you had told me that a year ago, I never would have even have thought of it. Hmm. I'm like, ah, my breasts are tender, but I never felt anything. Well, lo and behold, like every month since July, I like can feel cysts. And I'm like, oh, that's what a cyst feels like. It's like rollable under my finger. It kind of waxes and wanings and it gets a little bigger, it gets a little smaller, goes away after my, you know, one week after my cycle. And like, it's just crazy to me that like as a breast expert, both Robin and I just never did a breast exam before we got on Instagram. I think that's, again, like it's very on my radar. And the reason I talk about it so much is because it's never going to not be on my radar because of my experience. But I, I recognize the fact that for most people, if they haven't had a close personal interaction with breast cancer, it's just not on the radar. Just like, um, you know, I'm sure there are other things that wouldn't occur to me or be, uh, you know, would fall by the wayside. If everyone talks about the thing that they're passionate about, then I think we're all just going to benefit because you can't carry everything in your head at the same time. But when you see, you don't even have to like look at my Insta. If people see me, they just know. They'll walk right. up to me in the street and grab their boobs. I'm like, cool, great, spread, <laughs> spread the word. You're a boob liberty. Yeah, I'm a boob liberty. Yeah. <laughs> Someone called us boob influencers the other day, and I've never been so touched in my life. I'm so here <laughs> for that. But it, it's boob influencers. It's the idea that, you know, and, and also I think what, what you guys are doing, and it's like a younger generation of doctors, is you're meeting people where they are. You know, you're finding people where they are. Your people yeah. are on TikTok, your people are on Instagram. They want to be entertained. But once you have their attention, what are you going to say? You're saying something important. There's nothing to say right. that you can't say something important. And also, um, you know, be, make light of it. Like it can be light. I'm I'm writing yeah. a memoir that's entirely about, you know, survival, endurance, uh, recognizing what I can and can't control, and how I've, uh, ma you know, managed to maintain my sense of humor throughout. And having a sense of humor 
does not change my circumstances. It does not change what happened to me. It does not change what I have to go through. But for me, you know, laughing about something, A, empowers me, and B, it just makes me feel good. So this book that I'm writing will be um, quite poignant and heartfelt, but with Mm. many of my signature, you know, sarcasm and like, like sort of slip in there jokes, because that that makes it more memorable. Who wants to read like a heavy sort of sad story, even if it ends well? And right. that's what you guys do with your reels. It's like, uh, you know, we're gonna do a dance about how to do a mammogram, and or you did one where like this is what a biopsy looks like. I'm like, oh, that's actually really interesting. You know, I feel like the people we're trying to reach are, you know, 30, 40, 50. And this is like where this is, there's a, there's a big blank spot between doctors and patients. And we're trying to close that gap and make it more approachable, right? Like nobody wants to see somebody with, you know, their buttoned up collar and saying, you need to get a mammogram. We're trying to do it in a much more approachable, you know, hip way so that people it gets people's attention and it's worked (laughs) yeah and also i think like just like the fear mongers out there can make things sound very scary and there's been a lot of fear surrounded by getting a mammogram Mm. and it being a scary experience and statistically like overwhelming majority of women are going to walk out with a normal mammogram and even the women that get called back statistically speaking like they're in good shape too, in terms of an average diagnosis. And I feel like the more you break those numbers down, I think the less fear has to be surrounded by this form of screening. It's just about early detection. Like we just want to catch whatever cancers we can and in their infancy. You know what? The other thing is is that we're trying to really empower patients, like women to know their risk, because, you know, when you talk about screening, you're talking about 40, do you start at 40, do you 50, do you start at 50? But there's a huge population of 30-year-olds that are walking around that are high risk that don't realize that. And so the yeah. Society of Breast Imaging recommends that all women, especially Ashkenazi Jewish women and Black women, mm-hmm. be assessed for risk factors by the age of 30 so that they could identify if you're high risk. Maybe you need genetic testing. Maybe you need earlier screening. So trying to catch people like you before, because if you waited till you were 40, Oh my God! You'd be metastatic. Yeah, I'd, I'd be, I'd be dead. In fact, I, yeah. I had to at the time. I had to fight for my first mammogram at thirty. Um, my, right. my breast surgeon had said, or she was the one I was going to for checkups. Had said, um, you should go for, you know, your first mammogram at thirty because your mom was diagnosed at forty. And then I went when I went to I won't say which hospital, but I tried making an appointment and I got a lot of pushback. They said, oh well, you're not forty, and I explained my history. And they said, Oh, no, no, you don't have to come to your 40. And I was like, well, I'll be dead at 40. So how about if we just, Oh, my God. (laughs) But I literally would have like, based on what they found at 34. If I had not gone for a mammogram, even with the self exams, I I don't, you know, I don't know what I wouldn't wouldn't have found. It wasn't that long after I'd given birth to my fourth kid, we were moving to London, I probably would have let things fall by the wayside. I actually just want to highlight one important recommendation that you brought up. So, you know, average risk women should start routine annual screening mammography at age 40. Uh, But if you have a first degree relative, you want to start 10 years before the age of diagnosis. So your mom was diagnosed at 40. So, yeah, you would want to start at 30 uh, and not before age 30. It's that's where where self-advocacy comes Mm -hmm. in. And that's where people have to, if they can't advocate for themselves, have somebody with you Mm -hmm. who can 
be a little bit more demanding and firm, who can take notes when you can't process, you know, what's coming your way. And don't, you know, you're, you're going to medical experts, but you have knowledge, you have agency, we have access to more information than we ever have before. There's, there's a delicate balance. And that's, and speaking of delicate balance, I wanted to address the fact that there's a very delicate balance between scaring people into doing something, mm-hmm. but also not making it too catastrophic, right? So when they say one in eight women in America will get breast cancer, like that sounds like a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. But they're not <laughs> totally. talking about, you know, even if you have stage zero or DCIS, right. that's still breast cancer, but you're going to be fine and you're right. probably not going to need chemo, perhaps radiation. Um, it, it, it It's hard to like know where to navigate in between yeah. It's like, it's like Omicron, you know, be concerned, but don't panic. <laughs> Literally. Um, I just wanted to share my, my cousin's breast cancer story. You said about being your own advocate. So my cousin, my first cousin, when she was 35, she felt a lump, you know, she got it checked out. They told her it was probably a fibroadenoma. Don't worry about it. Come in six months. And she knew that it didn't feel right. So she pushed for the biopsy it ended up being a triple negative breast cancer, an aggressive form of breast cancer. Yeah. They ended up genetically testing her. She comes up positive for BRCA out of nowhere. Her sister, who was 37 at the time, I believe she was huh. two years older, she goes to get her first mammogram. She's got breast cancer in her wow. breast and her lymph nodes, and it's also BRCA. So walking around, you know, with these with this genetic predisposition that increases the risk of breast and ovarian cancer and had no, we had no idea where it came from. It was a spontaneous mutation, we think, but yeah, you know, knowing your body, knowing it doesn't feel right. You know, I think that's all really important. And I look at it as a head start, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm 47. I'm about to be 48. And still when people ask me, Oh, where do your parents live? And I, depending on who I'm talking to, I either say they don't, or I'm a bit more gentle if I think they can't handle my brand of humor. And I say, oh, <laughs> they passed away many years ago. And, you know, people are also quite sad. And it, it, it is it is sad, but at the same time, and this may sound strange to most people, but I wouldn't trade that experience. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do over where I don't see that or learn from that because that gave me so much power and knowledge and I this is what I say to my kids a lot knowledge is power you know do I talk to my kids about uh genetic testing yeah and for people who find it scary I say well it's a lot scarier to not know what you're up against maybe something's coming your way maybe it isn't but I certainly am the type that would rather know I'm not interested in surprises Mm -hmm. and so I feel like I have an advantage over the general population and that I had enough information to point me in the right direction and my kids, while they don't remember what I went through, uh, you know, in terms of treatment, they hear me talk about it. I write about it. I speak publicly about it. I'm working on a book about it. And they know I, they, it, the term feel it on the first crops up in my house at least twice a day. <laughs> and they will benefit from that knowledge. Um, I won't push them to get tested or not, but if they want to, I 100% will you know, allow them to. My daughter is 18. She's asked me about it already. And I said, whenever you feel ready, but mm-hmm. just understand that it's just information. It's right. just, it's like, it's like anything else that, you know, when you get on an airplane, do you read all the statistics about how many planes go down? Or when you get behind the wheel of your car, 
Are you arming yourself with that knowledge? No, but you wear your seatbelt and you obey the traffic laws. Love it. That's such a good way to look at it. Yeah, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. That That's one of my mantras. I have many, but knowledge yeah. is power. Just totally don't. Is don't bury your head in the sand. It's not going to work out well for you. Just it's just, it boils down it. to like the only thing you have control over is yourself. And this is part of your control. Knowing your insides, knowing your genetics is part of your ability to have control over the now and just like do what you need to do to like get where you want to go. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Well, Control you're... the things that you can. However, the serenity prayer goes, the yeah. wisdom to know the difference. Truly. Well, your mother and your grandmother are looking down on you and they must be so proud of the work that you're doing. Mm. Hey guys. Hi mom. Hi puppy. I feel like I can feel your I neshama so. through all your Instagram posts. That's what I love about your site. Like, I, just, I love that you said that. Yeah, no, it's, there, there's like a comforting warmth that I see in your life and your balance. And I, we re are really honored just to be in this conversation and talk to you. So thank you. Well, you guys are my friends. And one day we are going to meet IRL. But thank you for saying that because that's really what I try to bring there. You know, I'm not an influencer. I'm not selling anyone anything yet until my book comes out. Um, <laughs> I'm not. No, but I, I'm not. We're here and for it. Sometimes we I'm wearing makeup and sometimes I'm not. And sometimes I look like a disaster and sometimes I don't. And it's just, you know, this is me. We are Orthodox Jewish. This is how we observe. People are now used to the fact that from Friday night until Saturday night, I am offline. You can look at my, you know, the green dot that comes up on your Instagram to show when you were last on. You will always see she hasn't been on in 24 hours. Um, th this is how I maintain my health. This is how I view the world. Annoying, stupid things happen and I make jokes about them. <laughs> and it's, but it's all real. And that's, you know, it's not to say that I'm showing you every second of my life because who'd want to watch that? It's not the Truman Show. But it's like, I, I, you know, I, I just want to you keep, you connect keep with people who are, I, but I do, and not in a deliberately keep it real way. Like whoever's interested in what I'm saying and what I'm doing, come on board. And if you're not, that's cool too. But I like that you said- See you at the next train stop. <laughs> Shama, which means uh, soul for those who are listening to this and, and don't know. Um, that's the essence of everything. It's it's your soul, which is very important on days when you're not looking particularly good. It's good to have a, a beautiful soul. <laughs> we feel it. We see it. We love it. We are totally here for it. So. We are. We are. Thank you and so you much for your time. You are fabulous. Thank you for inviting yeah. me. I was so excited when you guys asked. This is like, this is what I like to spend my time doing, you know, Good. talking about this stuff and, and also talking with professionals. I mean, let's be honest, I get like really good free advice out of you guys. So <laughs> there's something in it for me too. Well, that's how you, that's how you came to have your, your platform, your Instagram, your TikTok, your uh -huh. podcast, you know, you guys are doing a lot. I have to, I have to hand it to you. You are. Robin does so much of it. I'm just like Robin's muse. I'm sure you realize that by now. Uh, no, I don't. I actually yeah. see. But people don't know that. Like, I, <laughs> you know what? It's I feel like it's my purpose in life. Is Yeah. Robin drives it. All the things that I love, which is writing the creative aspect, the, you know, and we're helping people like every yeah. time we get a message saying, you help me find my breast cancer. I'm like back. Adrian's like, we're yeah. back in. I'm like, back. <laughs> ride or die. Right. 
that, that's you know, right. make, make a difference, have fun, yeah. you know, pursue your passion. Okay. If you can't stop what you're doing to, to you know, focus on your hobby full time, yeah. find a way to make them work together. And I think that the, that's yeah. what the three of us are, are really okay. doing. And okay. I'm so happy that we found each other on okay. Insta because I think that we are just, well, friends, but also great resources for each other. So let's keep it this going. Awesome. And let's, Randy, if you're listening to this, let's get us some boobkas. <laughs> Bring back the boobkas. That's right. We want boobkas. Yeah. All right, Gila, thank you so much. Have a great night and the rest of your day. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. night. It's, it's, it's very night here, here in London. Oh, my gosh. Very dark and radiant and gross. Um, thank you both. Thank you so much. I'm excited to hear the episode and post it to all my socials. And yes. I have a feeling that we will find other things to talk about down the road and I'll be be back. (laughs) Until next time, let's be breasties. If you like what you heard or learned something new, please make sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe. I've literally always wanted to say that and share with your friends. Make sure you check back every two weeks for more great content. We've got some incredible guests coming up and you won't want to miss them. And follow the Booby Docs across all social media platforms for more of the breast information.